everyone, and welcome to STD, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. This is an unofficial podcast about the CBS series Star Trek Discovery. Hi, I'm Clarence Brown, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts and Trekkies, starting with the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? I am doing quite well. What about yourself? I am great, man. I have no complaints. No complaints. Same here. Same here. Good week. Cool, cool. Next on the list, we have uh, the Trek Story himself. Jonathan Shorts, how's it going, man? Going good, man. How's everybody else? Ah, doing great, man. Again, no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, dear brother, Tech Story and Carrie, how's it going, man? Oh, man, I'm doing well. Uh, just happy to be back on after a week's absence. Um, yeah. Excited to give my thoughts on this episode. Yeah, man, <sighs> we're glad to have you back in the fold. Uh, and, of course, we're without the uh, nerd story and Andy Sims. He could not make tonight, but we will catch up with him next week. So, welcome everyone, and of course, what we're doing here is review each episode of Star Trek Discovery, in addition to any other Trek things that might come up that we want to talk about, and we are deep in the season. Today's episode is entitled, The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. So, uh, guys, uh, anything, any news or anything happening in the Trek sphere or anything else you want to talk about before we get into uh, kind of a bit of a rata and then the episode review? I got another. <laughs> the only thing I will say is it's just interesting that people are still debating Orville versus uh, d- uh, Discovery, which I just think is interesting <laughs> that that's still going on. Well, uh, that brings up a certain Facebook post that one of our cohorts made, uh, Jonathan. So you want to tell us what that actual picture showed? Yeah, it, it was showing like a, the new Ducati motorcycle. Like, it's supposed to be, like, one of the fastest motorcycles in the world. And, they, you know, that's labeled as Star Trek Discovery compared to a big wheel tricycle bike <laughs> that would be compared to Orville. Oh, man. Some <laughs> just might take offense to that one, dude. <laughs> yeah. And when somebody commented on that, and they also said, you know, the budget matches it as, as well, which yeah, the latest – the latest episode of Orville, like when their shuttle got stuck in something, the gravitational pull of something, and it was just it was terrible, terrible oh. cinematography. Wow! So you you could kind of see where the budget kind of lacked there. So yeah, seriously, a- it's like comparing Power Rangers TV show to the Power Rangers movie. Like it's just <laughs> no no comparison. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a Power Ranger fan, so. Yeah, it's just the just the analog there is always going for. <laughs> yeah, well, I've never I, seen the movie. Yeah, and and like while I thought the initial CG on Orville was pretty good, um, again it just has no freaking comparison to what we were seeing on Star Trek Discovery. None at all, not one bit. So, guys, a, a bit of errata or just something we missed in the last episode. We didn't even really talk about the episode name drop. Uh, which is context is for kings, and you know uh, I kind of had a, a bit of an issue kind of thinking of where that actually fits in the context of the whole episode. But uh, Carrie, do you want to explain what that means? Me, you kind of talked about it for a second on Hank. Yeah, like that was one of my favorite things about that episode in particular because you know they're talking about um, they're talking about Michael Burnham's uh, actions and. She's looking at it from what she did, and the captain's looking at it from the angle of why she did it. And I mean, it, she didn't have any nefar- nefarious um, motives. She was really just trying to save her crew. So he just drops the line um, Absolute truths are for lackeys, context is for kings. And I mean, I, I feel like that line, like this might be a little cheesy to even say, but I feel like that line, you know, it even applies to life. You know, it's not so much what you do. It's why you do it in a lot of cases. And, you know, if you look at it from the angle of why she did everything, it makes sense that, you know, he would want her on her crew because she cares deeply about, you know, the survival of her crew and doing what's best. And she had the best intentions. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's always when it's done for the good. And and, yeah. hope, and hopefully that good is for a noble cause. You know, Nazis may have thought they were doing the thing that was right. But hopefully if you're using that to justify a particular action, it is towards something that's morally, you know, objectively a good thing. Mm, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Nah. 
I mean, that is the hope. <laughs> I'm not saying it always happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it again, again, it's not. Uh, I'm and I want to kind of like qualify what I said. It's not necessarily about why you do things. It's about like the big picture. You know, it's it's like yeah, she she nerve pinched her captain and <laughs> and she like like pretty much took over the bridge, which was wrong, but. Um, she thought that that would save the lives of all of her crew. And honestly, if I was in her position and I had somebody tell me a, a way to get out of that situation alive, you know, I probably would have done the same thing. And I feel like anybody in that situation with the knowledge she had probably would have done the same thing as well. But if you look at it from the context of, yeah, she, she mutinized her ship or whatever, you know, just looking at that by itself, it, you know, it's, horrible <laughs> certainly. <laughs> certainly um yeah so um let's go ahead and um talk about what we're going to review again the the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry a short synopsis synopsis of the episode Lorca assigns burnham to study the creature from the glen to find a way to use its biology as a weapon and starfleet orders discovery to relieve the dilithium mining colony on coven 2 which has come under klingon attack so uh, before we just dive deep into the episode, just initial thoughts. Who who liked the episode? Who thought it was good? I loved it. I felt like this was more Star Trek than any of the other episodes, but that's just my opinion. I loved it. See, I loved it too, but but for the exact opposite reason, I felt that this was more or less Star Trek. I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but I didn't. I was like, okay, cool. This is so not Star Trek. So, uh, Trek Storian, what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> um well here i i, uh -oh. I do agree with the, i agree with the point that it was more star trek like that star trek episode we're used to the only thing i hate hated about this episode you know previously in the first three episodes we got a lot of detail and backstory from a lot of things it just seems like this episode there was a lot going on and little explanation in it you know a lot of things didn't I didn't get the explanation I was looking for. Maybe it's coming in a in the next couple of episodes, but it just kind of made it kind of felt like gaps in the episode for me. Yeah, I agree. So, I had a few questions as well. <laughs> and like, I know they want to say some things to build a plot in the next episodes, but I think there were some things that just kind of needed to be said or explained in this episode to make it a better episode. And I've read a couple of reviews on different places, blogs and sites. Uh, a lot of people were saying it just it seemed like it was rushed. You know, it seemed like they mm -hmm. kind of put they had too much to put into the episode, maybe because they're trying to build up something in the future. So it they like rushed a lot of things into this one episode and it kind of jumped around. You know, we had the clean unseen going on and then we had uh, Michael studying this tardigrade and then. You got the whole jump and save these uh, dilithium miners, and it's just, it's just it was just a whole lot and not a lot of explanation. So I'm hoping the next episode kind of makes it better for me. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because these episodes don't particularly take, in, in my opinion, good advantage of being a streaming show. The format is still very much the 42 to 45 minute, as if it was on network television versus. Uh, something like Game of Thrones that's oftentimes 60 minutes or longer, and, and especially in this last season. So I, I I do feel your pain on a little of that parts where you think may have been rushed. I do, I do see what you're saying there, but we, we, we'll get into it a little bit. So, um, yeah, we get this opening scene, which is kind of this very chaotic opening showing the synthesis of Burnham's new uniform. Yeah, she's not donning the gold any longer. She's has silver stripes and which is science, I believe. And yes. it, yeah. And she has this real deep moment of reflection. What, what, what do we think she's thinking here? What is, what are your thoughts on this scene? Um, well, first many, many thoughts and comments on it. Uh, number, well, I guess, like you said, it's in silver now. So now she's looking like, wow, I had like command, <laughs> I had command gold as my uniform. And now I've downgraded to, a silver science uniform and then they made it a point to hear the computer say with no rank or the right, rank yeah. of none. Yeah. So they kind of, I mean, it's kind of like, Hey, you were the top dog here at one point and now you're like barely in nobody. So that was, 
I guess she's just kind of looking at, man, I may have screwed up really bad. I hate I did that, and I'll never get back to where I was. Yeah, I think also the point where she reaches to the place where a cum badge would be. Like, she doesn't even have a cum badge at this point, which is right. really crazy uh, to, like you said, kind of signify she's at the bottom of the bottom. <laughs> I, and just, I just a quick, no, go quick ahead. side note. A quick side note, I didn't know, again, something else I researched. The uh, the silver and gold designs down the side of their, their uniforms are actually a, a whole bunch of small Star Trek Deltas, like the Star Trek symbol. Yeah. Like interlock yeah. like that. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Like That shows the detail they put into it. Yeah, the only reason I know that is because I saw an infographic uh, before the show came out. But that is really cool. Yeah. So what are you about to say, Cal? No, what I was going to say was I, I'm just impressed. You know, we, we we were talking about how they're, you know, seemingly to rush the sum of the story alone. I'm just impressed with how much they are in devoting to her point of view and, you know, letting the audience see literally everything through her eyes, which I think if the actress weren't as good as what she is, then it would not be – quite as enjoyable but for me that's one of the things i like most about this <laughs> uh, do we do we find it a surprise that burnham is in georgio's will not really i was surprised i'm surprised about what they left her what she left her with that's pleasantly surprised or underwhelmed <laughs> <laughs> well I, I guess i mean it doesn't break the review to talk about that because it doesn't really impact the story what, what do you actually think about what was left for her in the words that that uh, Michelle Yeoh left for her as well. Well, I mean, I guess she kind of had my my perspective was it was kind of bittersweet for her because, yeah, those are sweet and nice words. But she obviously recorded that before, you know, Burnham went rogue. Yeah. So she's probably thinking, does she still feel the same way about me now? You know, after all the things I did. And I felt I felt like that was weighing on her pretty heavy while she was listening to it. But that's just my. No, no, that makes sense. Great stuff. I mean, even for the fact that Giorgio says you're a captain by now, like my heart kind of sunk when she said those yeah. words. I was like, oh man, <laughs> great hopes and dreams, and it's, it's kind of be been dashed at this point. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I may have, heavy. you know, I may have been dissecting it a little bit too much, but I was looking at it from a, from an outside the story perspective, to saying if we would have had more time with the two interacting together at least a season or something then this scene would have for the audience emotional impact it just kind of felt flat to me yeah you're absolutely right that's that's you know i could that describes it well i was sitting here thinking like how can i describe what i felt about that and that that is about it it was kind of flat and i was hoping maybe to you know smooth that over that maybe she would have had some kind of foresight that would you know, that would maybe help Michael along the way. I don't know. I guess I was just hoping for a little bit more into it. But but, you know, but, back, but back to that point of uh, having, if we would have been able to have seen more of them together, do you think it would have been flat then? Because I, I don't think it would have been then. What do you think? Curious. That's I, I, hard to say. I don't. I mean, I would assume so because you'd have more emotions into it. Correct. I mean, Right, right now, I could care less how she felt about. The, I mean, honestly, because I mean, we didn't build that relationship good, so I mean, it didn't really hurt my feelings to see to hear those words to Michael. You know well, what I mean? Just, just exactly. To, just to come to the writer's defense a bit, we, I mean, we got like a two-hour or, or feature-length episode with, with Giorgio in it, and in that same time span, we do invest in movie characters, and once they die by the end of the movie we feel that emotional impact and we see that connection. So why is it not enough time in this case? Are we just used to the longer Star Trek format of it being like a whole season, maybe to get invested? I don't well, know. I guess it's, go ahead, Carrie. I, know, I was just going to say, like, I actually felt like the, 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 I, I don't know if I emotionally connected with Giorgio, but I felt the, the weight of her loss. And I guess in some way that's a connection, because you can tell, like, even from the first scene, the first scene of the whole show when they're on the desert planet, you can tell that they have 
a sort of strong rapport. And, you know, you get the scenes with when they first met. And I don't know. I feel like they established her fairly well. I mean, as well as they could have in two episodes. And, you know, I I don't know. It's it's hard to say whether or not I'm invested, but I definitely felt the weight of, you know, her passing. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm, I was expecting a little more from that, you know, from that. I mean, if they've developed this friendship over seven years, I just expected more in that box. You know what I mean? Whether it had been yeah. physical things or emotional words or I mean, it just kind of sounded like, a, hey, I'm gone. You'll do well. Good luck. Bye. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. And I just I, when they when she when Tilly, Tilly, whatever her name is, brought this thing in and she activated and it said last will and testament. You know, they built that up. That, that was going to be something really important in that box. And maybe it still will be. But it kind of let me down there. Bridge, direct. As first officer, I take pride in knowing every name and assignment on the crew manifest. You were to be on the prison transport shuttle that left yesterday. Captain Lorca offered me an opportunity. I can tell by your threat, Ganglia, that you weren't consulted. The captain keeps his own counsel. Had he inquired, I'd have suggested the duty roster lacked any opening for a mutineer. A valuable asset. That's what you called me. I was speaking hypothetically, politely, and as someone who was certain I would never see you again. You can tell your threat, Ganglia, to relax. I'm only here to help. My Ganglia remain unconvinced. Next, we have the meeting on the lift between Burnham and Saru on the way to the bridge, where we see Lorca conducting battle drills. Lorca iterates <laughs> the importance of the sport drive. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, what do we first think about the interaction of Saru and Burnham and the battle simulation itself? How do we how do we like the look and feel of that? <sighs> like, it's funny because Saru's like a like a. I guess you would call him a serial like pacifist or whatever, but <laughs> you can tell that he just he doesn't really like her, but he doesn't he's like kind of reserved about what he says and he gives her all of these I guess you would call them like um what's a good word for it? Uh loaded compliments where it's like, um, I said you were good, but I don't trust you and you know <laughs> It, it, you can tell that he doesn't really care for her. And You've been it, saying it, it something just, like, "Oh yeah, I would, I would want you to have my back if you were the only person left in the universe." Something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, it feels like we know somebody is real good at something, but they do that one thing to tick you off. But you know, you might have to trust them again. You know, I think that's really hard to get over. But, I mean, she's done the unspeakable, though. How do you get over that and move on? Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like, he, you know, he's first officer. He should be over it. But he is a different species. So, you know. Yeah. I will say I did really like the look of the bridge, how the the view screen is so massive. <laughs> and I especially oh, yeah. love how the whole battle simulation felt like a video game. I like. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> felt a lot like the Kobayashi Maru in the first Trek Kelvin Trek reboot movie. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's exactly what it felt like to me. Well, can we explain why they weren't able to... I mean, is the reaction of the weapons so slow at that time that they couldn't target the second ship in time? I just thought that they sucked at fighting, personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go beyond that. I just thought... Because he makes the, the statement that they originally were a science vessel. And and um, they're now switching kind of into this war mentality since they've got the sport drive up and operational. So maybe just like a shift of focus and they're just not very well versed in battle strategy at this point. I don't know. You would think any Starfleet officer would be, but I don't know. It seems like they're just a little behind in that aspect. Well, I mean, if you've gone through Starfleet Academy, I'm sure you've already trained for that. I mean, it well, could have been. They, well, maybe because they they're train everybody. Microsoft. Do they train everybody? Oh, but like my my question is, if you're if you're a science officer, do they necessarily train you for battle? If you're just going to be like searching for new stuff 
in, well, in they, your any, anybody goes through Starfleet has to go through all of the same classes. Now, if you're going to specialize in a area, certain area, they're going to go more, take more classes in that area. But throughout the Starfleet, uh, throughout Star Trek story, anytime you hear somebody going through Starfleet, they've always gone through the same classes to the get a training. Basis. Yeah. Okay, I got you. So, like, they've all had a hand-to-hand combat fighting class, but you know, they they're not security officers, or they've all took a class in quantum mechanics, but some didn't pay attention, some wasn't their forte, but yeah. they still took the class. Yeah. Okay, I got you. I get that. I mean, speaking of such, Burnham is a, a supposedly a xenoanthropologist, and her and Lorca, Lorca, excuse me, go to Lorca's menagerie. Is what that what they're calling it? I heard that yeah, on Menage- After Trek. Menagerie. Yeah, oh where the creatures my. are stored. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Uh, and, and Burnham mentions that he that Lorca has some of the most dangerous weapons in the galaxy. Uh. Now this is where I got my, my this is my favorite quote I've heard all, of all time. He says, "I study war." That that whole what he's I, I like that from him. They, they kind of made they kind of I don't know they made his character for me. Like they kind of excused why he has all of this stuff. He kind of looked like a psycho there for a minute. So I yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> Just for a minute, yeah. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, he, he certainly has that by many, any means necessary approach. And especially when, you know, we start to see him talk about how he wants to use this animal or this creature alien as his as his weapon. And he's telling Burnham to do whatever she has to do to utilize this creature because, you know, it was able to wipe out some Klingons on this on, on the gland. So. He's definitely the guy that will do anything at any cost to get what he wants. Um, just really weird for for a Starfleet captain to to have that mentality. Well, I mean, who else would you want to purposely try to win this war than a Starfleet captain that knows Starfleet, but who also studies war? I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so, so let me ask a question because I was about to make a comment and then I realized that Enterprise took uh, place before this in the Star Trek timeline. So, so let me ask this question. Back in the days of the Enterprise, had the Prime Directive and their rules and regulations, had they been established to the point of where they were, say, in Voyager and Next Generation with you know, we don't do this and we don't do that. And, you know, we don't, inter- you know, whatever, you know, whatever their rules are for uh, this Lorca dude to actually be breaking those. So were they established back then or is this something that's yet to come? It's yet to come. If you remember on Enterprise, yeah. if you ever watched it, like they really shouldn't have been in space when they did. Because, you know, the Vulcans were advising us. And we were supposed to get okay from the Vulcans before we even started space travel. But yeah. because we had to get this dead clean on back to wherever he was going, I forgot. But uh, we kind of rushed off and Captain Archer was like, you know, screw this, we're going. So they had yeah. no rules. Gotcha. They had no plan. That's why we were interfering. I mean, they were interfering with other races. They were trying. I mean, it was it's terrible. Not, and still to this point, I don't believe we have the prime directive. No one's mentioned it anyway. So, so here's why I asked that question. I wonder if the the things that Lorca does in this series is what causes there to be a prime directive. Well, the, they do mention General Order One in the first episode, though. Isn't that the basis for True. the prime directive? True. Yeah. So I think we do have some rules at this point. I don't know how extensive those rules are. I thought Starfleet General Order One was the prime directive. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. So, I mean, like again, like I said, we do have some of these rules, but I don't know how, how far they extend. Yeah, yeah. But then I kind of take it that uh, Lorca is not uh, really one to abide by the rules. Like when he took the uh, call from the Admiral, he was like eating crab legs or something. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I didn't realize you were eating. He was like, well, I didn't realize that was against the rules or something crazy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just legs that that really works for me. <laughs> I don't know what it was. It looked like crab legs. I'm not sure. Uh, so let's shift over to the Klingons for a bit. 
the sarcophagus ship has not moved at all. It's like still in the uh, at the Battle of the Binary Stars, uh, which I found really surprising that no Klingons have come back to help this ship, which kind of kicked off this thing. I just found that really weird. Um, so three three things, three things about this scene to, that jumped out at me. It lets me know that Burnham's prison sentence or time in prison was not as long as I thought. Because at first I thought it may have been like a year, maybe, or longer. But again, only only six months. And again, why has no Klingon vessel come to the aid of the sarcophagus ship? And number three, <laughs> why hasn't the Federation come there to finish off that disabled vessel? It's just too many. Number four, that... why did they eat Giorgio? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, wow. And that's how the human DNA got it. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. That was painful to hear, dude. I was like, okay, so let me let me ask this question. How did they go to that to the Shinjo or Shinjo and get this telescope to put in her last will and testament and not get the ship or destroy it? Oh, even better. Yeah. How did they get off of it? They might have got it when they got all the other people off. I mean, but why didn't well, they take well, the ship? Well, they they took um, evacuation vessels or whatever you call them. You bring up a good point, Jonathan. This can't be the same telescope, can it? That's what I was asking. I don't know if it was the same one or not, but it. Now I that mean, I think about it, yeah, it's like, un, yeah, now it's I'm really highly confused. unlikely. Right. It's highly unlikely. But, but she so that, she did say this even, was in her family, so maybe it was a different one, some other place. I don't yeah. know. It would well, have to be. It would have made that uh, whole scene of her opening this last wheel box that I'm going to call it. It would have made it even better if it was the same telescope they were using on the ship. But if that is the case, then it leaves out a big hole here as to why they leave the yeah. ship in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't get why they left the ship with the drive intact like that. That doesn't make any sense to me when they blew the other ship. Me and Clarence were talking about that the other day, like they blew the other ship up. And they just left this one out there to die, I guess. Yeah, just dumb. It was dumb. Oh, <laughs> I also love how, you know, we talk about how convicted Burnham is to do what she think is right, even if it's mutiny. I think we see the same in, on the opposite side when we see uh, Volk, son of none, try to remain pure to the Klingon, newly found Klingon principles by not even wanting to go on the Shinzu to get the processing unit, the lithium processing unit, to actually allow him to get out of the, uh, the the binary star sector. He just, he's so pure about his mission that he refuses to use their technology, which I he thought was... He wasn't pure when he ate Georgia. Dude, <laughs> Hello. you know what's funny is like, I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure about this, but I feel like this episode, it... It it has to take like place like the next day. I'm assuming because she accepted the invitation and she got the new uniform. And like, there's just so many like examples of like absolutes or for lackeys, context or for kings. Like he's like following this absolute law blindly, yeah. following Takuvma, and he ends up getting screwed. And yeah. I'll, we'll talk about the other example of that later. But this is one of them that was in this episode where. I feel like his his um subordinate would probably be a better ruler than him because she is weighing everything and making the best choice for the bigger picture. And he's just looking at like this small slice of the pie and it ends up coming back to bite him in the butt. Well, let's let's just stay with the Klingons while we're on them. We'll go through each of their scenes. So well, uh, I do have go ahead. Just, uh, one quick one question you mentioned was why was the sarcophagus ship still there? And he does mention when they ask him why haven't we gotten the cloaking technology? And he does mention that they were just finished collecting or processing all the dead, I guess. So that's mm. why they're still been there. Six months, man. Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the, look at the detail they put in each of those sarcophagus. I mean, they, and then, you know, on the very first episode when they were, uh, burying or I don't know what they were doing to the clean on, they put them on the, in the sarcophagus. I mean, he was like wrapped in, some ornate material. It like took a lot of time. So I mean, if you imagine thousands of Klingons dead floating in space, how long that would take? Yeah, and plus the King- Klingons are so dedicated to ritual as well. So I could right. definitely see them, you know, 
no matter how long it takes, continuing to to stay there. So uh, again, the uh, sarcophagus ship is visited by Cole, the Klingon who had it out with Takumba in the the first couple episodes. And man, Volk is just why is he so willing to trust? <laughs> I just don't get it. I because mean, someone was willing to trust him, right? Because what? Say that again. Because someone was willing to trust him, Takuva trusted him like just out of the blue. You know what I mean? Like he really shouldn't have been as an albino cleaner. And I mean, no one would have trusted him. And if Takuva hadn't been accepting of him to start out, like Takuva had faith that this was the guy. And I guess he wants to show that same faith that Takuva showed him. He want to show it someone else. So do we? Does anybody have a feeling that this? Uh you know, the son of none will actually ter- turn out to be the son of someone at some point in this. Uh, I mean, and I mean that not just as being snarky. I mean it as in someone that that when they find out who he is, it's, oh, you know, now we're going to follow you. This is my uninformed noob opinion about that. I feel like he's going to be patient zero because like all of the foreshadowing with what he asked, the, his subordinate, what he's going to have to give up, and all this other stuff. If I feel like he is going to be the one of the first ones that gets the DNA transplant or whatever you want to call it, or gets the virus, is it a virus? Yeah, it's a. Vi- they explained it in the last last couple episodes. Of Enterprise. It's going to be a. They had some kind of flu outbreak or something, uh, some kind of clean up flu, and they created a supposedly been cure using human DNA. But that, when they started introducing a cure into the population, it had bad side effects. And there's some Klingon scientist who was banned from the Klingon Empire because they really didn't do science. And so he tried to, like, hurry it up so he could prove a point and screw it up. So I don't know if this, I don't know if this guy make it all the way to that point. I don't know how far Enterprise is. So I guess that would technically mean Enterprise would have to come after this, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we can be beholden to much of anything that we've we've seen before. Well, well I was doing some research on that Klingon, whatever you want to call it, and I feel like it the outbreak happens around the same time this show this of this show. So I mean, I feel like we're gonna see it at some point, but I don't know. Hmm. But I mean, it could be quite possible. I mean, he's gonna have to do something drastic to get get them to follow him. Yeah, which we learned that. Um, Laurel, the the woman who kind of he confides in, you know, seems like it could be a love interest thing there as well. But she's kind of his his right hand person. Seems like the Klingon relationships are more deep and meaningful versus in the other series. It seemed like it was more so um, loud and obnoxious. You know, you had your receptions, you had Worf, and, you know, we got to know the Klingons a little more intimately on DS9. But for the most part, Klingons don't really have a lot of range, so <laughs> <laughs> so that that's why, especially like in this episode, particularly, they show this relationship between um, between Laurel and Vogue. You know, they kind of have this this deep little relationship going on, and you don't too often see that in the Klingon Empire. Very true. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, Again, I liked how when Vogue moved over to the Shinzu, I liked the look of the set. I thought once again it looked spectacular to see this this uh, worn and blown to pieces Shinzu. I thought that was really cool, and I also liked the look of the Klingon spacesuit, which looks like they consulted Tony Stark on that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that that was freaking awesome. But any more they- thoughts? Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, was, they, I, I read something, and I don't remember what it is. I have to find it later. But there's some kind – whoever designed that has done things like that in other movies, and it was interesting, but I didn't write it down. But they got that design from some other movie, and it wasn't Iron Man. <laughs> I, just, I just have one more thing to add, too, um, about the – I can't remember his subordinate's name. I just keep saying that, but – I feel like that if she was going to betray him, she had plenty of opportunities to do that. I I really believe she's loyal to him. Yeah, I agree. And just to further explain that scene, um, Cole actually leaves Falk on the Shinzu and like goes off. And and uh, of course, Laurel comes back to 
to uh, help him at the end. So, so yeah, he he really his trust has has really got him into a lot of trouble right here. I think it'd be cool to see what happens to Vogue when he goes on this. I think the name of the planet was Mokai to join the matriarchs. I think that might be really cool. Be a different different type of scene to see on the show. So yeah, I'm interested in seeing how that plays out. Cool. Yeah, oh. I, I just I was surprised that didn't happen a different way. Because I mean, you just you used to Klingons being, you know, I would have thought if her her being so loyal, why didn't she like go to hand this guy to the drive and then like stab him in the back or something? <laughs> I mean, that's more Klingon than like I'm going to pretend to be on his side long enough to get you out of the, out of danger and then transfer myself to this ship and we'd be stranded. That's not really the clean on way I'm used to. The clean on yeah. way would have been, hey, you know what? I'm going to pretend to be on your side. Here, take a knife in the back. I mean, <laughs> that's what I expected, which is which makes me think she has other plans. Well, again, these clean are a little bit more thoughtful than in times past. <laughs> but I yeah, I, I get your point. <laughs> oh, okay, so, so coming from someone who reads all the closed captioning on everything he watches anyway, so I preface by saying that. Are, are we getting tired of the Klingon and Klingon and the constant subtitles? I'm okay with it. I just wish they talk faster. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was going to say that. And I think, Carrie, you mentioned that a couple episodes back that the house was <laughs> talking. Yeah, and I, I thought maybe it was just Takumba of like cadence on his speech, but it seems to be all of them. Mm. I don't know that that could get irritating after a while because you just kind of <laughs> sit there like, when is this going to end? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm fine with it. It's okay. <laughs> hey, it, is that how uh, is that how Captain Kirk would sound if he talked in Klingon? Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> you know, if we actually learned Klingon, we may appreciate it more. Not yeah, happen. but then we would have to learn Klingon. <laughs> no, we'll just use Google Translate. I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze on that one. <laughs> hey, you go mark on application bilingual. Oh, boy. Yeah, and mark Jedi's your religion while you're at it. <laughs> if you want to get crazy here. So, guys. Let's talk about Landry's Landry's discussion with Burnham on tactics (laughs) and science, the tardigrade or ripper, whatever you want to call it, and the need to make it a weapon. Oh, man, she's such an idiot. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, how dumb can you be? Like, I I feel like the writers intentionally just made her dumb, like, just for plot advancement. Because, I mean... You can't well, I, be the you can't be the security officer of a starship and be that stupid. I just I, just, I don't buy it, man. Well, she did put uh, numbing gas or sedation gas into the chamber. <laughs> they first. were shooting it with kill phasers and it still ran at them. <laughs> right? What did she think the the nerve gas was gonna do again? Hey, because Absolute I don't like Rika Sharma, I have to take up for because I think she's awesome. But, but I yeah, think she's it, hot, but she's an idiot. It, it 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 was it was dumb script writing. I, I have to totally agree with you. That was they could have made it a little bit more believable. And then the fact that she died over that, I'm like, man, what a waste. What that, a would be, waste. that would be the second case of context is for kings and absolute truce or for lackeys. Like she was a total lackey in this scene. It was just like right. blatantly obvious. And that yeah. was another instance of the show, like it's, it missed something there. You know what I mean? It felt rushed. Like I they needed to kill the her off. Okay. So I've got, I've got to backtrack here for just a second. Cause I cannot believe that I just found this. If you go to Bing translator, which is bing.com backslash translator, and you choose which language you're wanting to translate, I kid you not. Klingon is listed. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I am not joking. You know, if you watch Star Trek on Netflix, you can change the uh, audio output to clean on as well. Oh, are you serious? I didn't know that. Cool. I hadn't tried it. But it was all, hey. They had a press statement about it. Oh. So, guys, we will have the Klingon feed of this episode out. Uh, be a little bit later, but we are going to release the Klingon <laughs> feed. No, we're not. Uh, oh, I'm going to have fun with this. <laughs> I do like how, opposed to Landry having this ultra-militaristic... Lockers tell us to do this. We're going to do this mentality. Burnham, Burnham takes the very Star Trek approach. 
you know, Star Trek is all about learning about different species, first yeah. contact. And I, yeah. I love the approach she takes to try to find out more about this this creature before she just tries to dissect it and 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 and, and kill it, you know, like 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 Laundry is wanting her to. And and it's just I don't know. I, I love her Star Trek approach approach to this whole methodical find more out about this this thing before we just gonna decimate it. Yeah, it, I like that's what I, this is the perfect example of why I think this was like a Star Trek episode. It's like, hey, this unknown species or monster, whatever you want to call it, um, we can hack it to pieces and use its claws, or we can try to figure out what its motivations are, what it, you know, why is it attacking everybody? Let's learn. Like to me, that was like Star Trek, one hundred percent. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> and if Lorca needs this thing to be a weapon, that's what we're <laughs> gonna do. <laughs> Like what? Oh my god! Yeah, uh, oh and it's just like she was so devoted to this dude, and then like she dies, and it's like, oh well. He's like, oh well. Which they <laughs> did. They did build her in this episode to the point where I was okay with her dying. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm with you there. I'm not at all. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just cool with the fact that you cannot get attached to anybody because they could die at any moment. I like that. No, we do not need the Game of Thrones ah, version of Star Trek. No. We do not need what now? The Game of Thrones version of Star Trek. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, true. Everybody but Tilly. They're not going to kill Tilly off, guy. <laughs> and I, you know what? I actually, I actually was not irritated by her this time. Yeah, because she didn't talk as much. Right. Oh, like, wow. <laughs> Don't step into it. Don't step into it, guy. Oh, that was a good one. That was oh, so good. my goodness. <laughs> So I have a question because I, I I was going to go back and watch another episode. Was it Tilly in uh, Science Silver last, and now she's in Copper, or am I just seeing things? They, maybe they really did experiment on her, and that this is new Tilly from her <laughs> universe or something. They should change her into a red uniform. Oh. Well, maybe she got a promotion. I'm assuming you liked her last week about as much as I did. <laughs> I kid, I kid. Oh, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> oh man! So let's talk about. I guess, of course, we, we alluded to the to it earlier about the call from Starfleet to Lorca while he was eating his his uh food. But they get the directive to actually go to Corvin two to protect the dilithium processing, which I guess Corvin two produces forty percent of the of all the dilithium used by Starfleet. And they have this directive, use this brand new spore drive to get there and defend the, the planet. And yeah, um, and we see where one of the parts I really, really love, good old Stamets. <laughs> this dude is uh, not afraid to stand up to Lorca at all. <laughs> I had so many problems with this. Uh, go Elaborate. Okay, okay, all right. Walk me through this. So you have a installation on the edge of your territory that produces what he said 40 percent yeah 40 percent of what is it called dilithium yeah 40 percent of the dilithium for the entire federation and there's nothing guarding it hello yeah exactly well they did they did say they had a i don't know it wasn't a fleet but they had a blockade or something guarding it but the clean ones had overrun it uh, i guess it just i felt like that yeah they had a lighthouse out there. <laughs> but, you know, on, on your same line, Gary, they said the nearest starship was like 84 hours away. That was kind of stupid. It should have had a starship like there. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and that being said, why would one ship be able to defend this this Klingon raid that went through a blockade? How can why should one ship be able to fight that off? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, that was that was one of my problems. Like, even with this spore drive, yeah, you can get there, but oh my god, what do you expect to do? That's what and, you and really, call happy coincidences in uh, writing. <laughs> dude, dude, okay, okay, okay. All right, I have one more question about this whole scene. Like, I just didn't, I didn't care for this scene at all. Okay, so you have this state of the art starship, <laughs> and your decision no. oh. with all these weapons and your decision to kill two ships is to like warp them to pieces. Why didn't he just shoot them down? 
No, he didn't warp them to pieces, which is still stupid what he did. Like, he stood there until they, like, all got right up on him, and then they, like, jumped out of there. But when they jumped, they left, like, five torpedoes floating in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so there were tor- yeah, why didn't Why didn't they just shoot them down? They almost died for nothing. <laughs> right. My point still stands. Like, it, it and, made no sense. And then you, it had to be more clean on ships there yeah. to overrun this blockade. Why did they just kill like three and leave? <laughs> and then everybody walk, everybody walks out and like, we're saved. Somebody could have done that with a phaser rifle. He's out so, of so were the they ships said, firing on each other? Like the Klingon ships, were they firing on each other? Help me remember there. Are they no, it, was, it, was, it was the torpedoes that actually destroyed ah, them. Okay. All right. Never yeah. mind. Yeah, it, was, it was weird. It was a weird scene. Because I thought they were co- they had copied something, but if they weren't firing, then they weren't. So never mind. Uh, I just felt like they they like made this remote place important so they could show the the jump drive or whatever, and then they got there and it, it just did, that didn't make any sense, man. I can't defend that scene at all. Like, well, no, I was well, expecting them to like jump there. And then, like, jump behind one of the ships, shoot it down, then jump behind another ship and shoot it down. That would have been a more more acceptable use of this spore drive. I mean, uh, otherwise, I don't. It just it was a waste of scene. I think. Does anybody beside me like the fact that the spore drive actually has a button called, labeled "spore drive"? Did anybody? <laughs> <say that? laughs> I'm gonna get a screenshot of send to y'all. <laughs> like, Heather, like, what? That says "spore drive" like in big bold letters. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Now, I did like the whole, uh, like, the, which proved our ring theory wrong on the Discovery. We were think, saying maybe it, the outer rings were purposely set like that to house dangerous experiments, but they actually spin, which is Yeah, that awesome. is really weird, too. Yeah. I mean, there are no inertial dampeners in the world that can <laughs> prevent people from being killed when that ring spins that way. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care. And then the ring starts spinning, then the ship starts flipping, and then yeah. it's like, oof. I don't know. I mean, it was <laughs> like, cool, though. Like it was poof. cool. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the organic uh, computer? Mm. We haven't really talked about that. Which I, I think that's, again, part of where we get our title from. Um, and I think we're going to see that explained a little bit, a little bit more in the next episode. Uh, we see by the time they've done a few jumps that this tardigrade is seems like it just can't go on any longer. It's a little worn out. Um, and I feel like that's going to have repercussions down the line. And like, Absolutely. I missed the part, I missed the part where like how, where, when did they figure out that this tardigrade should be connected to this device and this, like that, I felt like that should have been explained a little more. Oh yeah. That, well, well, that, well it, that was explained surprisingly. That was explained pretty well. I felt. I, yeah. I thought so too. You may, you may well, have just I, missed that part. Well, yeah, I thought was, I did and I rewinded because I thought maybe it had jumped or something and I missed. So the last I remember they he was in his captivity thing and they were saying, she, Michael was talking about how, she felt like he was being affected every time they did try to jump. And then the next scene I know is they're getting ready to try their first jump and he's in this thing. So, I mean, basically what happens is after he mauls the, the girl that Eddie likes, I can't remember her name. Clarence likes, um, after that, he know she's trying to like befriend it. And she notices the, the way, like you said, the way that he reacts to all the jumps. So she goes and gets some spores she opens the cage and just sets him on the edge of the cage and he basically eats him, I guess. Yeah. And um, after that happens, what what they try to do, they warp him down to where the shrooms are, the mushrooms, right. I guess. And right. they watch the way that they interact. He interacts with the spores and they note that he seems to be communicating with them. And speaking with them, and I mean, if you remember even earlier than that, they they warp this component from the other ship, and they're they're like, it must be missing a part, um, yeah. and it just kind of sits in that cage. So I guess they just decide to experiment and see if the monster can interact with it. Yeah. Well, also, also, uh, Burnham states that in the images from the Glen, it shows that there are outward protrusions from that same chamber on that ship. And it looks like that beast was housed in the chamber. And I guess, like Uh, Harry said, they kind of pieced together that Burnham and her brilliance pieced together that, you know, 
traps him, they actually beam the board or, or retreat from the Glen. So yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they explain it pretty well. Yeah, that now, part the, was a. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. I was gonna say, does it make much sense? Uh, we don't know yet. I guess we'll find out in the next episode. But <laughs> yeah. but they do they do explain that. That part I feel was explained okay. What to me wasn't explained very well was a how did they discover that this organism could help them warp. That part I was a little fuzzy on, and the other part I was a little fuzzy on was from the previous episode, I got the impression that this monster got loose and attacked everybody, and it seems like something else happened to mess the ship up. What happened on that part is they realized the reason why he broke out of that engineering section is because they were housing these spores in the lower cargo decks, and I guess he has this relationship with them. He was trying to get to them. And that's why he was so aggressive on that ship, that they weren't letting him to him. And I also um, felt that, to add to that, I felt like maybe they were pushing the monster too hard and it created yeah, an error and jump. And yeah. yeah, I think we're going to find out more about that in the next episode. Because they were, I will admit, they were pretty vague on the details. Yeah. On And, and of course, um, there was a reason, Stamus gave a, re- gave a reason for why the Glenn was destroyed, but I think they're going to change that. He's going to have some more information or something later on. Yeah, it was a Hawking's radiation field that they that they <laughs> ran into when they came out to jump. Now, I did like the fact that they found out that this uh, creature, this tardigrade, actually, I think they made it to the point that he had seen, like, all he knew all of the points, all the navigation points that these four continuum, I guess you could call it, across space. He had already... Somehow he had all that in his memory. Yeah, I thought that was and pretty cool. And they were using that as like a guide for a navigational computer. So, John, you posted something pretty cool about the tardigrade. And, uh, let me get back to that. And and while you're looking that up, Kyle, is it tardigrade pretty similar to something else we know about? Mm, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Star Trek Discovery got a little um, homage going on here to a certain um, – technology from a planet that they may have visited from the federation who knows but um something called a tardis perhaps yes and what does that stand for sir time and relative dimension in space certainly not and before you tie the next party in cal let me read this and this is from a wikipedia page uh in which michael actually mentions this when she first analyzes the creature the tardigrade is actually a, it's an actual uh, biological. It's like a. It grow uh, the largest of them can grow up to like two millimeters, I think. But it's a micro animal that uh, was discovered in 1773, and right now it's known as the most resilient creature on Earth. It can withstand like temperatures. Let me look up. I don't want to give you this. So it can withstand temperatures down to 200 and negative 272 degrees Celsius or as high as 150 degrees Celsius. It can withstand pressures about six times greater than the deepest ocean trenches. It withstands ionizing radiation at doses 100 times higher than the lethal dose for human. And it can withstand the vacuum of space. Pretty interesting. So, and this was founded in, like I said, in 1773 uh, by a German zoologist, which ties back into what Kyle commented on earlier. What was that? <laughs> okay, so I think you asked Clarence and I, you know, to basically comment on. So I went on a tangent and commented with the, with this made up story that the doctor in one of his previous um, or current incarnations went back to 1770s, met this zoologist. He was in the TARDIS and he's explaining what the TARDIS is. And this zoologist uh, goes off and discovers this creature and was like, oh, well, I'm, you know, the doctor helped me. So I'm going to name this creature after the TARDIS. So there you go. You know, guys, all of this just goes to further my theory from the last episode. And that, that is this, that this thing will not only be able this thing being a discovery will not only be able to travel in space, but also time. That's my friend's theory. I, I, I must stick with it. 
And, you know, based on Star Trek history, a lot of things are actually tied into, like, actual science. So I, I, I'm thinking we're, we're going to get a lot a big discovery from this. Okay, so so since we've been talking about the tardigrade and the TARDIS and whatever, so basically, Clarence, what your theory is that there could be a little bit of wibbly wobbly timey wimey going um, on here. Yes, yes, doc, yes, two story, and yes, okay, cool. <laughs> That's what I thought. Cool. <laughs> oh man, any other takeaways from this episode? You guys, any have anything else on your list you want to talk about? I think we pretty much covered the gamut. Um, no, we're good. I think uh, it's just a it left a lot of questions, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'll just add that um, the the sick bay scene between Stamets and Colbert when um Captain Lorca walks in there and mentions Elon Musk. Uh, yeah, that was cool. I thought that was oh okay, just throwing that in there to to get some smiles. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Like man, Elon Musk is so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he's filthy rich and has rockets, but he got mentioned in Star Trek, and that's even better. <laughs> the funny thing for me was that he's probably going to be remembered like that for real, so <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. So anybody out there, we would love to know, know your comments, thoughts on this episode. You can send that, send that stuff in to fans at scdpodcast.com. Uh, take a voice memo on your iPhone or Android device and send it to that email address and we'll play it on the show. So, um, yeah, uh, any closing thoughts? Anybody want to plug anything before we get out of here? Anything you're working on? Cool. You want to want to give a shout out to? Well, you and I, Clarence, uh, also do Discussing Who. And uh, this week we had a very good episode come out. I did an interview with Jessica from the Seska Says YouTube channel and um, very, very positive response from that episode so just wanted to give a shout out to jessica again and a big thank you from discussing who because like i said we've gotten a lot of positive feedback and response from that so good week for discussing who yeah yeah um, the power of the youtube community man that that is by far our most popular episode it's not even yes. close Yes, and <laughs> that she also did, um, and you can go to YouTube.com and just uh, do a search on S-E-S-S-K-A-S-A-Y-S, and I'm sure uh, Clarence will put a link in the show notes, but uh, she did a very nice, t- uh, it was a quick two-minute video just as a nod saying thanks to us. So for that, we're saying back, or I'm saying back, and I'm sure you're saying back, thanks to her. So kudos to her. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Carrie, John, anything you guys working on? Not currently. Uh, I'm still planning on doing a Star Trek blog here sooner or later. Uh, just got to get the time to get that together. And, of course, we'll share the links to all of that when I get it going. Cool, cool. And if Carrie doesn't want to say it, we are actually on Techpedition. That's T-E-C-H-P-E-D-I-T-I-O-N.com. We talk about tech, anime, games. Uh, just just a lot of geek culture centric topics and yeah you can check me and Carrie out there on the Tech Edition podcast hey guys uh, again send emails to fans at stdpodcast.com uh, follow us on twitter at std underscore podcast or hit us up on facebook at facebook.com slash stdpodcast uh, thank you for joining us for another episode and we will see you for the next one do we know what the title of the next episode is guys I do not uh, I'm looking it up real quick. Choose Your Pain. Episode 5 of Star Trek Discovery is Choose Your Pain. So, hmm. wow. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like, like these titles are tying in together quite nicely, um, as Carrie mentioned up top. So, yeah, it makes me wonder if everybody is going to live long and prosper. listening to the std podcast for more information go to stdpodcast.com slash subscribe